0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: Yo, yo, welcome to the Forum Club. I am your co-host, Yovan Buha, joined on the weekly edition of the podcast by Bill Orem and Anthony Slater. Gentlemen, how are you doing today?
2: Good, good, good man. You coming up to Sacramento, right? Yeah, I- I'm, I'm making a up trip here. upstate. Yes, uh, it's been it's been a cool week for like the L.A. Bay rivalry, right? I mean, like obviously Lakers Warriors has no stakes, but just having those games going on simultaneously to this big Dodgers Giants series, I thought the environment in Chase Center on Friday night was cool. They were showing the Giant highlights during timeouts, and even last night they were doing that a little bit with the Dodgers. So. I don't know. Can we stoke this LA Bay rivalry a little bit more than it has been in recent years? Yeah, we got it
0: on on multiple levels, which is which is just fun, fun, multiple levels that are happening simultaneously with huge stars. And like you said, in the in the NLC and the NLDS, you know, huge stakes where you got arguably the two best teams in baseball um, going at it kind of early in the in the postseason. So it's it's I don't know. It's fun. I mean. You know, I mean, I've heard a lot of people from LA complaining about Bay Area weather and, and, you know, having candlestick light conditions at Dodger Stadium for game three. Like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like the, 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 the just Northern Cal, Southern Cal rivalry is getting reheated.
2: Yeah. It felt like the Bay Area this weekend in LA. I wasn't loving it. I was down there. I was hoping for 82 and, and breezy, but it was kind of wild in Dodger Stadium. But they came I mean, for Staples Center talk, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think
0: it'd be great for the
1: league if the Lakers Warriors becomes a rivalry.
0: Well, it's going to be great for the league if it happens only if only because like you've got these two teams that are kind of the, you know, the anchors of this half of the decade, right. Or like of, you know, half a dozen seasons in the conference and due to the injuries that the Warriors have had, they've so far kind of missed each other with the exception of last year in the play in when, I mean. Let's be honest. I mean, the Warriors were kind of at a different place than the Lakers last year, where the Lakers had to get in. The Lakers were, you know, still title contenders at that point. You know, they had to get into the playoffs and the Warriors were kind of still just a, a, you know, a fun, feel good, exceeding expectation story behind that historic campaign from Steph. I mean, I don't think anybody was looking at them as a title contender, even if they'd gotten in.
2: What's funny about that, though, is I'd love to see it's probably out there like what the ratings for that play in game were compared to ratings for like the NBA finals games. I mean, that was probably a top five playoff game from a ratings perspective. And that's the funny thing. It isn't just the Warriors lakers two brands the california rivalry it's steph lebron steph lebron are the two biggest ratings draws in the league i mean this was when it was warriors cavaliers the league loved it so now you add the lakers brand into that same rivalry potentially in the same conference i think the league would beg for a, a warriors lakers west finals particularly but really any playoff series between those two they would love so yeah, i hope we get i hope we
0: get it at least once i mean it's kind of it's kind of the it's kind of the same point we've made in the past about, about Lakers Clippers. You know, that you've kind of got the Lakers and the Clippers finally, um, you know, contenders at the same time. And, and yet they've continued to miss each other in the postseason. At some point, the, the fact that they both exist in the same market deserves the payoff of an actual series and, and same uh, with the Lakers and Warriors kind of at the, you know, at the height of, of kind of their powers. I mean, you could argue the Warriors aren't, aren't there anymore um, and that the Lakers may not get there again. We don't know, but I mean, they are both still just such huge deals that I'm, I think you know we as sports fans deserve it.
1: So we're recording this on Wednesday morning. The Lakers and Warriors played last night for the second time in the preseason. Warriors won 111 to 99. We're basically at the goal line of the preseason. The, the regular season is less than a week away. Uh, the Lakers are zero and five. Uh, I don't I don't think anybody predicted them to go undefeated, but zero and five, I, I think has been a little surprising even with the guys in and out of the lineup. Uh, is there any cause for concern with this preseason start? Does it even matter? Or where are you guys at on the panic meter? Cause I, I got my first fire Frank Vogel tweet last night, which really oh, baby. Surprised. I, I'm like, I, of all the people to blame, I think Frank's towards the bottom of the list, but uh I guess Anthony, as as kind of a a you know third party coming in, you know, seeing a couple of games with, with the Lakers, like what what has stood out in, in in terms of just how this kind of dysfunctional they've been on both ends so far.
2: By the way, that's an earlier firing calling than my guy Mike Brown. What? How many games did he get? He got like <laughs>
0: eight or five. so. Five. Yeah, five, five five regular season games. Five five. But, I mean, they were zero and five, and they lost all. <laughs>
1: So what Wait, you're saying oh, is this
2: is trending in a Mike Brownie direction right now for uh, Frank Vogel. Um, I mean, I don't I wouldn't I don't want to sit here and be like panic about the entire season. But I think the first subject and probably a long topic we should have is Russell Westbrook. I would be concerned about Russell Westbrook's play Um, and just I mean, I don't know. You if you have the stats in front of you. But what is he shooting like 20 percent with like 20 turnovers in three games or something like that? i'm pulling
1: i was pulling it up as you were talking
2: yeah yeah i mean um it's i mean it's obviously just the the to me and you could see it over the years back to his prime in oklahoma city when he was just devastating at the rim he was finishing over bigs he was dunking all that he, year by year by year you know his his finishing at the rim has gone down and you could just see he, he could he knows that now and he's trying to pass off more sometimes he's getting to the rim and he's almost trying to like, hey, let me try to slip this pass through a double team right now to AD and like set him up. And it's like people don't fear him at the rim as much so that people's hands are more in passing lanes and he's turnover prone. The jump shot is not what it used to be. I mean, you know, he has stretches obviously when he can hit some jumpers, but he's been bricking in preseason. And then the defense. I mean, if you go look at most of the Warriors threes uh, last night, I mean, it's just like Russell Westbrook breakdowns.
0: Really? There was one clip I saw that was like in slow-mo Yo, I Did you show me this? Yeah, I saw. I saw it as well. Whoa. I know what you're talking about. Is this the Damian Lee clip?
2: No. Well, it it actually, but I believe Damian Lee was involved, but it isn't the Damian Lee taking him off the dribble. It's Damian Lee standing without the ball in the corner and then like bolting up to take like kind of a cur- to curl off a screen on the wing, and he doesn't even react to Damian Lee moving from the corner right. until Damian Lee like has the ball on the wing and he's like, oh shit.
0: And he's like, he's he's in a shooting motion and then Russ sort of lunges. But at that point he's 12 feet away. So it's like, it's a contest, but like, you know, you would need to have inspector gadget arms and Kawhi hands to have any shot at it. Um, Like it was just, it was, it was a very strange.
2: This um, has always been the story of him defensively where it's like, sure. If you just look at the physical profile, I mean, he looks like, you know, as good a defensive guard, uh, in the league I mean because obviously lateral quickness has always been their strength is 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 top of his class among his peers but it's the off-ball airheadedness at times the gambling at times and then just like he'll just die on screens like just because he wanted to I guess I mean there was one last night where Bielica came down to set a screen it wasn't some like thunderous screen he just kind of sat on it and then auto porter just goes up to the wing and and i guess he expects some help but it's like i don't know if you don't try to hustle over a screen it's just to me it's just type of shit that frank vogel's not gonna like
0: well and there's also just not that there aren't enough people to cover for him either like defensively the lakers don't have the defensive personnel to um compensate for russ's weaknesses i mean and that and maybe that's going to be different when um when the regular season starts if they go big and they start DeAndre Jordan. And so you at least have that backline defense of, of DeAndre and Anthony Davis, which kind of seems to be the way things are trending, which is an interesting um, sort of litmus test of what the Lakers view as their biggest problem with Russell Westbrook and, and overall is their biggest problem with that opening lineup spacing, or is it the lack of, of perimeter defense and without um, Trevor Ariza, without Taylor Horton Tucker, if you go big to me, it is, it is a concession that, your defensive liabilities are of greater concern than your spacing liabilities.
1: That that is a great point. Uh I think I mean I think you you nailed it because I, I kind of came away from yesterday just thinking like it would be interesting to see what this group would look like with DeAndre out there because Frank Vogel talked about it after the game. The Warriors were running a lot of back cuts uh, against the Lakers and kind of catching them uh, you know, in miscommunication and, and mistiming. And I, I think it, some of that is having two minus defenders and Carmelo Anthony and and Russell Westbrook in that starting group. Uh, So I I think that's where a Deandre Jordan or Dwight Howard with those guys, you know, adding size, rim protection length uh, would help. But on the opposite end, there were spacing concerns. And uh, I I went back on, on synergy and and kind of went through each player's, you know, shots and, and just sort of where they were getting the ball, where they were taking shots and, uh, you know, several of, of Russ's threes just came from uh, his defender completely cheating off of him. And, you know, th- there's one play where uh, AD gets the ball on the right elbow. Russ is kind of spotting up in between the top of the arc and the wing. And Andre Iguodala just is cheating over and continuing to cheat more and more and basically goes to like trap AD he kicks it to Russ. Russ misses an open three. And like those are the plays that the Lakers are going to have to kind of figure out. And that's maybe honestly a situation where Russ should cut to the basket instead of spotting up because I think that's where you get him head of steam going to the rim. I like that version of Russ more than him spotting up in a catch and shoot situation. But I think the the one thing that has been concerning to me more, like the shooting, he, he looks rusty. I think some of that stuff is just going to take some time. And we, we know he's now played for four teams in four years. And in each situation he has, uh, or at least in the two new situations in Houston and Washington, he was better around the all-star break and beyond. So I think for, for us, there's going to be an adjustment period. But the thing that's been concerning to me is I think the shot selection has progressively gotten worse. And if you look at the first golden state game, you know, only five attempts, uh, but, but no threes. And I, I th- thought he just was looking to pass and play, make more. He kind of said after the you know he needs to look for a shot more and uh, defenses are playing him to pass uh, and since then you've seen I, I think some of the bad habits of just pull up mid range jumpers in transition or um, you know him maybe being open but a teammate also being open and him still taking the shot but when it's a lower percentage shot so that to me is is more the concerning thing is I think as you know we we kind of everyone puts on their their best impression in a new situation but you know what at what point does russ just become russ and you know take the shots that he's been chastised for 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 years now and that's already kind of started to happen and i guess that that would be my kind of only major concern like projecting out is just i think he it's hard to change him and he is starting to kind of look at times more like the bad version of himself
2: yeah he um and he seems to start settling for the jumpers when the when he's not finishing at the rim and even back to the Oklahoma City days but but the 18 footer used to be a lot more reliable back in the day but now it's just like I, I I think all of his issues stem from just just the the diminished burst at the rim explosiveness and and he's just I mean he used to be elite as a guard finisher now i just it is crazy for me to see him like getting to the rim and then like ah where can i find this outlet as he's already in the air it's led to the turnovers i mean what is the number through three games turnover wise he's got 20 turnovers yeah and uh, that's just 15 assists i mean so you know as bad as the the shooting percentage is like 20 turnovers. Like that's just wasted offensive possessions, um, giveaway offensive possessions. You could basically add that to the missed shots. Then we're basically talking about a guy who's been successful on like 10% of offensive possessions again, preseason three games, but it's just, it's the trends that have been concerning with Russ over the last few years. And you're right. I mean, he's hit monster stretches in Washington and monster stretches in Houston, but like Houston had to rearrange how they played entirely. They had to strip centers from the floor. They, you know, he basically became their center. And then in Washington, it was just, it was just like kind of a weird down the stretch type situation where they're like, just go do whatever you want at all times. Like gobble up as much stats as possible and try to get us to the play-in. That's not really what the Lakers need out of that spot. The Lakers need, you know, the off ball cutting, some spacing, some really like locked in perimeter defense that they're missing with Caruso and Caldwell Pope gone. And I mean, the reason why I'm just very down on the fit is because I think Russell Westbrook has proven that that's not Russell Westbrook. So that's, that's as we talk about preseason concerns, that's the only one I have about the Lakers, but that is a huge one I have about the Lakers.
1: I think on the flip side, uh, LeBron and AD look really good. And uh, it, it, you know, th- there's a question posed to Frank Vogel last night of uh, sort of alluding to Russ's struggles and the fact that the Lakers might have to heavily lean on LeBron and AD in the early portion of the season. They already have a couple injuries. Taylor and Horton Tucker's out four plus weeks. Trevor is out eight plus weeks. Uh, so two hits to the perimeter rotation, the, the perimeter defense. And I think, ad has progressively looked better in my opinion he's been playing closer to the basket uh his jump shot is still a little rusty he's still kind of finding his rhythm with that but 20 free throw attempts in his last two games which is really encouraging after averaging uh, the second fewest free throw attempts of his career last season and it almost seemed like at times he kind of got in his head a little bit where he was shooting in the mid 60s from the free throw line and he kind of started to shy away from contact and, and going to the charity stripe so I think for him to kind of be more aggressive again, shooting free throws better—that's an encouraging sign. He had a couple of lobs last night, which we just didn't really see from him. Uh, you know, last season that consistently. Like, I, if you go back and look at some of his highlights, like a lot of it is that face-up, you know, turnaround jumpers, not as much stuff at the rim and, and dunking on people. We saw that last night, and then LeBron—I mean, he had that thirty-second stretch where he scored six points in transition and was just an absolute freight train. The, the guy that we just see year after year. Frighten people when he's going to the rim. So uh, I think, as you know, I think the rust thing is going to figure itself out one way or another, right? You know, it's, it, I think right now it hasn't looked great, but uh, I, I think reason for optimism for the Lakers is LeBron and AD are still LeBron and AD, and I think you you put those two like even last night they were the only two starters that had a positive plus minus, and the other three guys all were negative, and like that to me is just kind of the story of the Lakers. You put those two guys out there. They're going to doesn't matter who the other three guys are. You're going to have productive lineups. You're probably going to win those minutes. So uh, to me, it's just about finding the the balance with lineups. What's the best group to put around LeBron? What's the best group to put around AD? And until Russ kind of finds his bearings, let's ride these two into really an easy early stretch of the schedule where the Lakers could go seven and three, eight and two, something like that. So I think that's kind of going to be the early season formula for L.A.
0: You mentioned um, the injuries to Ariza and THT, which I mean, just to say nothing of Nunn and Monk and uh, Wade Ellington, who are all dealing with minor things. But if we focus on the two that we know are going to be longer-term injuries, Ariza and, and Horton Tucker, those are, you know, arguably or maybe not even arguably at this point, two of the Lakers' most important, um, you know, defensive perimeter defenders. Which one of those injuries are you more... And then listen, they neither of them are going to keep them out, you know, past the new year. We don't think like this, you know, they THT is going to be reevaluated in four weeks. I think they said eight weeks for Ariza, which would put him at sort of early December. And I mean, we all know that reevaluated doesn't mean back on the court, but like it sometimes does. So which of those injuries do you think is going to um, hamstring the Lakers most in the early going?
1: I think it's Ariza. If only because I, I think it potentially changes the way they play because they, I think as you reported uh, a couple of weeks ago, at this point, uh, you know the, the Lakers' projected starting lineup was eighty Ariza at the four, LeBron, Wayne Ellington, and Russ. I think Ariza being out of the equation makes the Lakers almost have to start big because the alternative is, I think, starting mellow, right, or, or going super small, going with LeBron at the four, maybe Bayes and Ellington on the wings. But I don't think the Lake, I don't think LeBron wants to commit to that yet. And I think part of the Ariza thing was sort of bridging the gap where he could kind of handle some of those tougher forward assignments um, and save LeBron's legs for, for offense. So I don't think the Lakers are going to go in that super small direction. Um, so maybe it is starting mellow, although I think there's a lot of defensive concerns with that. But oh, I think baby, most like mellow and Russ. Most likely, it is DeAndre. I think you know all signs are pointing to even from the first couple of days of training camp, DeAndre was was logging reps with the starters. That that was kind of one of the first storylines to come out. I got and a question though.
0: Dwight Howard's better than DeAndre Jordan at this point. Yes. In their yeah. I th- I, here's my here's my here's my response to that. I think that the late Dwight Howard as a backup, kind of in and out of the lineup, you know, having a role some nights, not having a role other nights, is a known commodity. Dwight embraced that role for this team two years ago and they won a championship. You know, his, you know, his energy off the bench was a huge part of what made the Lakers um, so dynamic uh, to two, I say two years ago. I mean, it's more like nine minutes ago, but one year and two days ago was the last time that team played together. Um, so I think, you know, I think that they, they know they can trust Dwight in that role. Deandre, the reason he's here is that he left Brooklyn because he wasn't going to be able to play. Like he's, He has
2: good friends in the NBA. DeAndre Jordan is a great
0: friend apparently. That's why. Sorry. But to keep him but to keep him engaged and to keep him motivated, I don't know that if you swapped those two, you would get the same contributions that you get by letting DeAndre be the nominal starter, uh letting Dwight play the other half of the the big minutes there and letting, you know, AD um play his 15-18 minutes a game at center.
2: Yeah. To, to your earlier question, Bill, you know, a reason, obviously, I think strategically is a, is a more concerning injury for what Yovan mentioned, but also just like Taylor Horton Tucker just kind of hurt his thumb and he's what, 20, 21 years old now. Yeah. And like, you know, he could run and, and probably keep in good physical shape and be fine in, in four or five weeks to just kind of hit the ground running uh trevor ariza like kind of sounds like a pretty difficult ankle injury he's going to be going through and you're talking about, like what's the reason now 36 37 36 yeah. thirty-seven?
0: will be 37 in june so
2: like, like he'll be 36 you, this year you just start to worry about what his season will look like even once he's back i mean the type of shape he'll be in and how little basketball he's played because i remember that was a big thing with the heat how much of a hiatus he had had before that and um like the idea of Trevor Ariza is very helpful to LeBron is very helpful to the Lakers. But I just wonder if that idea will ever formulate on the court. And if it doesn't, I mean, LeBron can, can prefer to have a big wing that can help him defensively, but we all know like when this season matters, they can't really be playing Deandre Jordan, a bunch of minutes. Like, so no, no. And, and, and
1: honestly, what of, one of my pet peeves, uh, Historically is just the token starter. I, I really don't like it that, you know, cause I, I uh, you know what, when I covered the Clippers, they had like Marcin Gortat, who was just completely washed at that point. And he was, wow. That he is was.
0: somebody I haven't thought about for a while. No, I mean, I'm not disagreeing yeah, no. with you. I just like,
1: this weird, like three center rotation where it was Gortat, Boban and Trez and Boban and Trez were both better and more effective than Gortat. But for some reason, they just liked him better in the starting group. And they were kind of wasting like 15 minutes a night with Gortat. And all the lineup data backed it up and, and the eye test backed it up. And it was just like, why are you doing this? And I, I feel like to be honest, uh, I, and and you, you know you guys could disagree with me if, if you want i think deandre has been the worst rotation player uh, like I, I guess i mean of the 14 guys on the roster i think deandre' has been the eye test wise to me has probably been the worst um I, I know the lineup data would say mellow actually but uh like i think austin reeves has been better than deandre jordan uh and i, I know like he'll center. have he'll have the the one or two highlights a game where he'll, he'll get a dunk in transition or he'll block a shot but if you actually look at Possession by possession, Dion, i mean, Dwight and AD are just at a totally different level in defending the pick and roll and in, in contesting shots, altering shots. Uh, that you know, Dwight is, I think, more effective around the rim, uh, just on both ends. And, and obviously, AD—I mean, we, we don't need to really compare anybody to AD, but like, I, I just think DeAndre, you know, if they're going to go big, I—I I would prefer Dwight at this point. I, I think there's enough of a gap between them to negate any preference of of Dwight coming off the bench. But I I do think the way things are lining up, it is going to be DeAndre for better or worse.
0: So here's, here's a, here's a a thought on, on that also, like DeAndre Jordan is a 34 year old, you know, former all-star on a, on a minimum contract. Like it you it may not work out and if it doesn't work out it's at a cost to the lakers you know you 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 go big at the beginning of the year as a necessary function of who's available um maybe you get a reza back and you figure out that you're better off small and 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 maybe you, you you cut deandre loose if it if it doesn't work out i mean we are at the Um, you know, it's, it's hard to remember always each year because like, you know, the rotation, the rotation does matter by the way. And the, and the early season rotation is telling of how, you know, the coaching staff views this team, but it's entirely possible that, you know, DeAndre Jordan, we saw this with JaVale McGee, right? Like JaVale was the starter for the entire regular season, you know, two years ago, really one year ago. And then he, you know, barely played in after the first round of the playoffs. And so these things evolve. And so, you know, if DeAndre is the starter on opening night, it doesn't mean, Necessarily, that it that you know the Lakers are stuck with him in that position all year if it's not working,
2: yeah. All you need to know about DeAndre Jordan though is just what happened at his last stop, which was obviously he got paid over market value because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant wanted him on the Nets, and then Kenny Atkinson essentially lost the locker room or at least lost the Kevin Durant Kyrie portion of the locker room because he benched DeAndre Jordan because he's like Jared Allen is much better, um, and Then Steve Nash arrives and they again try to fit DeAndre Jordan in the rotation. And by the end of last year, they
0: they dumped Jared Allen.
2: Yeah, really by the middle of last season, though, it was like Bruce Brown and non-center lineups make more sense. Jeff Green is a small ball big. Let's bring Blake Griffin in here. He matters more. LaMarcus Aldridge. Let's try him. Uh, And by this summer, they cut, you know, a team that had two of his best friends in the league who basically run that franchise in a lot of ways. They just cut DeAndre Jordan, which to me says where DeAndre Jordan is as a player. And and it's it's the confusing part of this offseason from the Lakers. I actually understand it because like, you know, we talk about players having control. Obviously, it's like LeBron wants Russell Westbrook. LeBron, I'm sure like, you know, all of them believe maybe they can pull out prime DeAndre. I shouldn't say prime DeAndre Jordan, maybe late prime DeAndre Jordan, but it's just to me, just like a young big would make more sense. I mean, I like what De- would Devontae De- Cacock, Damian who's Jones. now on the next yeah, Damian <laughs> Jones. There you go. Um, but I mean, just mean. Marc Gasol is a, is a great name who they had under contract with. I've
0: got opinions on Marc Gasol but, if you yeah, guys want to want talk to about it. Ah, just stretch out the whole yeah. thing. Stretch and get <laughs> down on the blocks. I, of the I,
2: I, I'm just saying, like to me, as you look at all their veteran signings, a lot of them were good. You know, Baysmore had a good year. I think Ariza was a good swing. Even Carmelo, like he did some stuff on Portland to make you believe, hey, he could come in and, and in the right role help. But Westbrook, I think, starting to look more and more like a swing and a miss. And then DeAndre Jordan, I'm like, that should just go to a center that's more capable of helping. Because I understand the idea of wanting a big, you know, in some lineups. I just don't think he's at all the correct big to try to, you know, fit in those lineups.
0: A center, a center, uh, uh, another, another big, yes. But also another big who understands, um, understands that he's not going to play every night and who is is comfortable with that and is, and is going to be able to summon the energy, the necessary energy. And I don't know, maybe Deandre has the same sort of um, uh, revelation that Dwight had in his first year with the Lakers. And he is, is more comfortable uh, in that sort of role. We'll see, but like, we haven't seen it up to this point,
2: but the thing is he's taken minimized role and he just hasn't been good in minimized Yeah, you know, like, you know, Blake Griffin went to Brooklyn and just did the minimized role thing better than Deandre Jordan. And, and, you know again that's the problem is like i think deandre jordan will accept a minimized role i just don't think he's going to be good in it yeah. and that and that's the
1: problem we, we talked about russ and dj as two guys who i i think that there's still some concerns with, with the fit and, and the lakers kind of figuring out their roles i think one guy who has stood out to me in a positive way is kent basemore and you, you alluded to him uh frank mentioned him earlier in training camp as a guy who had started to you know, stand out defensively and sort of distance himself from the, the perimeter group. Uh, And Kent to me has, has really been, I think arguably the, the winner of the preseason from the Lakers perspective, because uh, you know, to me, like we, we talked about his role as potentially the starting shooting guard, or at least like a energy wing off the bench who would have a defensive role, but he's done that. He, he shot the ball well from three. I, I think he's fit in and, you know, he, he has some, some weaknesses he he tends to foul a lot uh I, I don't love when he tries to play make or or you know kind of iso and create for himself in the mid-range sound like a warrior fan right <laughs> now but uh but you're correct <laughs> but but aside from those
0: Jovan you know, bay huh? <laughs> bay area <laughs> there you
1: he'll, go he'll have a oh i got a gift from zoom running out of time we've removed the 40 minute time limit uh <laughs> What a gift,
0: podcast all day.
1: Uh uh-huh. um, but, so, but yeah, like, I there's some limitations there, right? And he's not perfect, but I do think we, we've seen him be a good point of attack defender, use his length against Chris Paul. Uh, we, we've seen him kind of just flying around as a help guy and and uh, just sort of randomly rotating and swiping at guys and getting into passing lanes. I think he really fits in with their transition game and just kind of what they're trying to do offensively. So I think Ken is to me, locked up a starting spot, whether they go big or small. And I think he's, he's, I think working his way into arguably being the fourth most important Laker. I I don't like that kind of sounds crazy. (laughs) Right. It might be true. I don't know. Sounds
2: like sounds like the Warriors team last year. Uh, the Warriors wanted him back, though. I mean, it, it is a very good signing by the Lakers at that price. Um, because late in the season, it's always referenced up here. But the Warriors went fifteen and five down the stretch. That was when Wiseman got hurt. But also forgotten within there is Kelly Oubre screws up his thumb uh, and his wrist, and Kent Bazemore takes over the starting spot. And they went fifteen and five down the stretch with Kent Bazemore starting at the two. Um, and that's because he provided a lot of what Ubre did as like a long disruptive wing defender. As you're talking about reliable, uh, foul-prone, but sometimes that you know that that pisses opposing teams off too. Like Dude, this guy's just hacking me all game. Like he just gets guys out of rhythm. Um, but also like. While he does get a little ambitious in transition at times and he can like drive into traffic, mostly he knows how to play offense. He knows how to play off the ball. He will, you know, he's good in corners. I think his, I think it's his left, the left corner. If you look historically, he's like elite as a, like a left corner shooter. Um, And he's just. He's a good personality, too. He's respected. You can tell he's respected by a lot of etchers in the league. Steph Curry loves him. It's one of his best friends. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's that is one of their better offseason signings, and it seems like they realized that early. It almost seems like, from for me reading you guys, it almost seems like they were surprised that he was as good as he was.
0: Well, I mean, it's interesting because it, the way it was reported when he signed was that he signed with the Lakers for – you know a big role, and I was really curious what that meant, especially as the roster took shape. Because you know, I, I think you know you could argue that he makes sense. You know, theoretically as a starter, but like you know, Wayne Ellington is probably their 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 purest is definitely their purest shooter, um, and that's such a gaping hole. But like, and Johan and I've talked about this, you know, offline you know, really since the end of free agency, what you do with that two guard spot, you know, whether it was THT and for various reasons, the answer there is no, is it Wayne Ellington and do you sacrifice the perimeter defense? I mean, the only guy who really checks the boxes that you need to a high enough degree, you know, is Kent Bazemore. And like, you know, the fact that he can shoot it, the fact that he does defend, um, you know, I, I, I would not be surprised at all. If at some point this season, if the Lakers do start Ellington at the two, if at the start of the year, if the, if the, the defensive liability becomes, you know, so great that, um, that they need to s- switch some things around and try to get Bays more in there, because as it is, like, if we, if we project a lineup of Westbrook, Ellington, LeBron, AD, and, uh, and a center, I don't know who's guarding, you know, who's guarding the ball. I don't know who, I don't know who you're putting on uh, Lillard and, and CP and like it, like Westbrook is like in theory going to be the disruptive force there, but like for all the reasons we've talked about, um, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to lose a lot. If, if you're asking what Russell Westbrook to, um, be your primary backcourt defender
2: i know he's not as big as a but c- you could play ellington basemore lebron at your like two three four and then, and then you start, know, start ad
0: or, or bring ad yeah. off the bench as the sixth man and just yeah, yeah. Yes, there you go there you go De- Deandre's. <laughs> Lob City, I mean, that, 2. that was my
1: that was my preferred starting lineup what was the the ellington Bazemore? i felt it, it gave you the defender it gave you the shooter uh, just, you and, just lose a
0: lot of size. You just I mean, it's not lo- a lot of size. You, you lose the three inches that Ariza has. Like Ariza, you know, Ariza plays more like a four at this point in his career, and you know, you know is probably a more physical defender, um, and can and can get can give you a little bit more, you know, inside the three point line as well. Um, but Baysmore, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's, I think there's absolutely an argument for that lineup. Uh, if if you are if you are stubbornly going to try to go small, um, which maybe that's the right choice, and you just don't play DeAndre Jordan, um, but I, if, I just I just don't think that's the direction they're going at this point.
1: Well, one thing on that is the Lakers have already basically switched away from having Russell Westbrook be a point-of-attack defender. I mean, if you saw them, who like the, the defensive matchups against the Warriors, they were putting Russ on Damian Lee, and it was kind of whoever's the weakest uh, you know, Warriors offensive player on the perimeter, that's who they were hiding Russ on, and it was Bazemore taking the primary assignment of a Jordan Poole uh, in the previous matchup, they started Russ on, on Steph, but eventually switched him off and, and put Bazemore on him uh, after Russ was struggling to get around screens. So I think already, you know, to me, just based on how they've been playing defensively and matching up, I think it, it's clear they're trying to hide Russ on whoever is the worst offensive player on the perimeter. We're going to put Russ there, have him be a helper, uh, but we're not going to, you know, if, if a guy's going through screens or, or handling the ball a lot, we do not want Russ on that guy. Uh, And there will be teams that challenge that, right? Like I think the, the actualized version of the warriors in theory with clay and Jordan Poole and Steph out there, there isn't really a place to hide what once those guys are hundred percent. So I think that's one interesting thing. And then, and quickly we mentioned Ellington defensively, he's impressed me with his ability to chase and get around screens. I I think he's arguably been the best Laker in that regard. And in terms of just that one specific defensive thing, I think overall, he's not a good defender, but um so, you know he can get around screens on offense and he can get around screens on defense and then dwight dwight's been a revelation to me he he's his rim protection his offensive rebounding uh his, his finishing uh, and just that nuisance that he is of of just getting under opponents' skins. He and
2: got he's gotten like seven scuffles with like seven different <laughs> Warriors players. I over mean, like, he was gonna kill Bealito last night. <laughs> oh my God, Bealito! You can tell is out there like, dude, preseason. Can we calm down a little bit? <laughs> why,
0: why, why is Bealito talking like Mario all of a sudden? Like, like. Have you talked to Bealito? I don't. I haven't. But is that, is that what He sounds like. Does he? Does he? Does he, does he I don't he want sound to, like- I, I mean,
2: uh, it was. But but it Dwight, was a like, bad impression. It was no, a bad impression.
1: Bill, I was like imagining Dwight on last year's team. And I was like, if they had this guy instead of Drummond or or Trez like that, I I was just like, wow, this like there's something there's something about being in a Lakers uniform for Dwight, the second and third time around versus the first time uh, and and Rondo where like those two guys are just so much more effective as Lakers than they are in any other jersey. They're
0: so much more engaged. I I had to chuckle uh, our friend Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer had a tweet a couple of weeks ago, like after the 76ers first preseason game. And he was like, you know, my hot take of the preseason is that Andre Drummond is going to be a much better backup center for the 76ers than Dwight Howard was. And I'm like, listen, that may be true. And maybe, maybe that's a better fit for, for, for Drummond, but like the Lakers are not, are not second guessing that decision whatsoever after, after the Drummond disaster and um, having seen Dwight, you know, kind of pick up where he left off at the end of, uh, at the end of, of the bubble. Um, I have I've, I've, I've two things, because I think we need to bring this back around to the Warriors and opening night before we get out of here. But, um, Yovan, know, you just said an amazing sentence, which was talking about the Warriors, who you described as Steph Curry, Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole has had a spectacular preseason, <laughs> and he does look like the third Splash Brother. And I just need to ask you, Slater. Like, they you know, call like it the pool my, party. Up I was gonna, I was gonna ask, okay, because like this is my thing. This is like my, this is my whole life and my reason for being. You would
2: enjoy the pool <laughs> Renaissance so.
0: when you have when you have the like finally the Splash Brothers have a pool. I just didn't, I didn't know. I'm glad that I'm glad that uh, they are ahead of me on it. He
2: is, he is being tagged as the perfect Splash cousin because you know you have the pool party. He has the pool. Yes. Um. Yeah, he has had a I crazy preseason to the fact. Uh, I'm curious to see him opening night. As, as we maybe shift the conversation to opening night, it is going to be an interesting, you know, mini test case for like how much we do or don't overrate and overvalue preseason. Because you know, you mentioned the Lakers struggles and they're up to 0 and five. The Warriors are four and zero and like look great. And, like even last night with like not not Steph and Draymond like they just played really kind of like flowing basketball and obviously Jordan Poole's kind of had these games but the way elite and Porter have just fit into what Kerr wants to do um and you know go and, and the fact that the style they play offensively I think um is tricky for a Lakers team that doesn't really just want to like chase guys off ball and Steph Curry scattering over here and pools doing down screens. And you mentioned the back cuts where the miscommunication happens. And uh, as the Lakers just try to discover who they are with this, just new completely new roster, essentially around LeBron AD. Um, If you know, in a vacuum and certainly if you were to say they were going to meet in the playoffs, I'm favoring the Lakers. I think they're much more powerful. They'll, they'll really bruise the warriors inside, but on opening night, considering what these two teams look like in preseason, I'm very curious to see if the lights go on and the Lakers are just like, "No, we're bigger, we're better, we actually care tonight. We're going to dominate this game," or if it's just like what
1: we've seen in preseasons, like what's going to play out opening night? Yeah, uh, I think, and that's that's where I'm, I'm at with the with the preseason in, in terms of I reject the premise that it doesn't matter. I, I just think hell yeah, we have seen it. yeah we've seen it time and time again matter. Uh, and, and like, I even think of, you know, two examples with, with these two teams that 2012, 13 Lakers team that uh, didn't win a game in the preseason. And, oh, and
0: eight, Do you know, how hard it is to lose eight preseason games when like most of the teams are half the teams are playing. Aren't trying.
1: And I went back and looked and, and five of them were by double digits and they, they had some blowout losses where it, w- it wasn't like they just were you know squeaking by in close games, barely losing. And, you know, a lot of times the preseason, you, you put your bench guys in, in in the fourth quarter. And, you know, like last night, Lakers probably win if they stick with their normal yes. rotation. But uh, maybe I don't know, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it was a close game. But I think some, some of that's a little bit inflated by like putting the bench warmers in in the fourth quarter. Uh, But you had that example. And then you have, uh, I don't know their exact preseason record, but the year the Warriors went uh, 67 and 15 won their first title, I remember them steamrolling through the preseason. And it was like, and there was kind of the talk of like, is this real? Is this sustainable? And all of a sudden they just reel off all these wins and become this dominant juggernaut that wins multiple championships. And again, it's not to say like the Lakers are in trouble. I I just think this is a measure of where they're currently at. And it would not surprise me at all if they did lose on opening night, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think with what we've seen, it's hard to, you know, find a lot of positives with where they're currently at now. I I think the early stretch of schedule is easy. Uh, That should help them kind of withstand some of these lumps that they're going to take. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm fascinated by it. And I do think that the Warriors are a bit of a matchup problem with, with Steph and just some of the way with their three point shooting and, the way that the the Lakers are going to have to defend them, like with the back cuts and and with the flare screens and stuff like that, like you really have to be in tune defensively.
2: And and their strategy too, you know, like they're watching the film, like we are, and they're going to say like, well, whoever like Russ Westbrook's on, like just run around a bunch of screens until he makes a mistake. And that breaks the defense down. So like, they're going to scheme up believing that the Lakers are going to be kind of disjointed defensively opening night. And if the Lakers can prove, look, The game matters tonight. You know, Russell Westbrook is going to care. We are going to be on a string. Frank Vogel does because because the Lakers also know what the Warriors are doing, right? That's the NBA in a lot of ways, but um, it's it's early, interesting test for the Lakers.
0: I do think Yovan, you mentioned the the um, sort of um, soft start to the schedule. I I have to think that's a factor in how the Lakers have handled the preseason. You know they. They know not only is it a long season, but they're going to have some room for error in the first month of the season. Twelve of the first 15 are at home. They play the Rockets twice. They play the. They play the Hornets in there, but like there's worse teams, too. They play. There's another bad team that they play twice. Um, It just it just gets you know, I just think that there's there's going to be opportunities for them to kind of figure things out on the fly and not. And not um, have to pay a pr- that much of a price. So I think you know. I mean, listen, LeBron and AD and Russ have played one game together. Maybe that's two by the end of the preseason. Um, you know, with with uh, the game Thursday night. Um, no, that is not enough. I don't think. But you know what? Like, it's like you know, get through the Warriors game and it gets and get through the Suns game in game two and it just gets a lot. It gets a lot easier. So I just think that there is a little bit of um, there is a little bit of long range
1: strategy here with the way they've approached it, especially
0: with it, such a veteran team.
1: You have at San Antonio at OKC. You got the Spurs twice. Home Cleveland, home Houston, home Houston, home OKC, and then later in that 15 game stretch, you have Minnesota and San Antonio at home. So that's like eight no, like that's a a, a gift from the NBA right right there.
2: That's a yeah. gift from the NBA. That is cake. I didn't know it was that easy. Right. But I the first,
1: the first two are Golden State and and Phoenix, the teams they have played twice in the preseason and, and lost to twice. So that that's going to be, and the last two teams they played last season, uh, with, with the play in and, and the first round. So the, those two games,
2: yeah,
0: I,
1: those I, those yeah. two those two games are going to do a lot of narrative shaping for the Lakers,
0: or uh, the early stretch of the season. If they go zero, I think they want to split.
2: The- I think they want to split in those two. However, you get it. Yeah, are you? Are you? Well, well they, they they've 0-2. lost five You're straight games just, to Phoenix.
0: I'm not saying that I'm going to put them on the barbecue right away. I'm not necessarily saying it's going to shape the way I uh, shape the narrative necessarily. I just think that you know, with the people who speak very loudly in the box hanging on my wall, that is going to be something that they that that, that it, that's going to be the Lakers are in trouble. They're zero and two. They're not as good as the the Suns or the Warriors yet. Um, and, or, you know, you can really set the tone of being a, you know, a, you know, the favorite you should be, um, with those two games, it will evolve over the course of the season, but like in terms of how we talk about the Lakers, in the early going of the season, those are going to be the two games that determine it. Cause you're not going to learn as much from those calves, rockets, thunder spurs games that, that Yoban just rattled off. I
2: I think it's a great chance for, for LeBron and Davis, but, but really Davis to just like make a claim that like, yeah, we're unorganized. Yeah. We haven't come together as a team, but I'm bigger than everyone on the warriors. I'm going to, get 38 and 13 and lebron's going to be dominant in transition and you know maybe they don't blow the warriors out but like we're just going to physically drag this team across the finish line and beat because we're the two best players on the floor tonight and then go to phoenix and do the same thing um that would be that that's the type of statement that like you said that that might shape a narrative a little bit because you're like well this is probably as bad as the lakers are going to be essentially and but these two are just these two
0: do we think? I mean, like, I don't know if we're going to podcast again before that that Suns game. We probably will, but I just got to get this in while I'm thinking of it. Um, what are the odds? Like, what are the Vegas odds on whether or not Anthony Davis kitch, uh, kicks Jay Crowder in the, in the groin in that game? <laughs> what
2: would you set him in?
0: I mean, I'd say it's probably like the first
1: quarter, too, because I think uh, both times yeah, are in it, the first quarter.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'd say it's probably like plus 200. Like, I think there's, I think, I think, I, th- I think the odds are, it's, I think it would be a slight, uh, I mean, slight slight uh chance that it's, uh, the, the slight favorite that it's not going to happen but like you know the odds aren't terrible that it does so I'd, I'd probably put i'd probably put a few bucks on on jay crowder getting kicked in the in the groin by anthony davis it's just a, it's just a trend it's a theme we've seen it too many times by the way there's a sports book at the uh at the footsteps arena now so uh you could probably get it get that action at mgm that's but, the only one it, i know is it footsteps footprints what that the, what the hell's the name of the arena
2: footprint now? i think maybe Okay. I don't know. I that I M- need M- to do the M- circuit M- again and, and see all the different. A whole, it's a whole
0: new league out there, man. Like, it's 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 wild, and they've changed. And they've changed the the pickup table for credentials at Staples Center for the first time in my nine years covering the league. The, the league. Like, I mean, this is. I, I'm concerned about the direction of things, to be honest.
1: I'm I'm gonna go. Uh, I don't know if this is contrarian necessarily, but I, I think the Phoenix game to me is more telling. In, in that, again, like. They've lost five times in a row to them now including you know the last three games of the playoffs two preseason games and that to me like I just kind of want to see some some dog from the Lakers you know like come out and cuz I I think they have some similar advantages obviously Deandre Ayton has stepped up and I think is playing at like an all-star caliber you know was playing at all-star caliber, uh, caliber uh, Would you say he's caliber playing caliber at a level. Would you say he's playing at a max level cuz that's the big question I'd give I mean I would give him the max based on the way he looked, and in, in but that you're, you don't have Robert Sarver's puck. I I don't, uh, but that could that could make that situation <laughs> weird. By the way, I'm sorry, I just no. I mean, but like I, I just want to see, I want to see that from the Lakers, and and if they lose opening night, but they come out and, and beat the Suns, like that to me is still probably a net positive because that that game to me I think matters more. It's also frankly until we see what Klay Thompson looks like. The Suns are the, the bigger threat to them, right? So I think Great. that
2: that's I picked them. I picked the Suns to win the West. So yeah, I agree. Still, or like this, this yeah. season, you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is, I'm any, just so I'm agreeing for no, sure yeah, that yeah. They're, <laughs> they're like the stiffer uh, early season test.
1: Is there anything else we didn't touch on, guys?
0: Probably, but that's it's, it's a long <laughs> it's funny. a long season. I mean, there's a lot of questions with this team. There's a lot of things we need to figure out, and and you know along the way. But I think you know we we know what the big questions are, and it's. You know, we're kind of getting to a point where we're going to start seeing some of the, the answers, at least in the early going, but it's going to keep evolving. And, you know, I mean, it, I think last year is such a great example of like, you know, what we think we know going into a season and how it changes over the course of the year. And then ultimately how much it all mattered. Like, I mean, last year was a, obviously a very peculiar season for a variety of reasons. But, you know, it comes down to are LeBron and Anthony Davis, you know, healthy and playing at playing at their best by the time the playoffs get here. And there are a whole lot of things that we couldn't possibly predict at this point that will determine that when we get there. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, I kind of roll my eyes every time the Lakers talk about being a long season and being a marathon and not wanting to skip steps, but like really the only thing that really matters for this team is like not falling apart, you know, you know, over the course of the 82 game regular season. And then everybody sort of being on the same page and having used those 82 games to figure each other out, being healthy and, and, you know, giving yourself the best chance in the playoffs. Yeah. I I think that's a good way to to wrap it up. Um, In in, in conclusion, nothing you're seeing right now matters.
1: We'll podcast again in April. (laughs) I mean, we got to keep the listeners hooked, Uh, but we, we will be back next week. Uh, I think after we'll, we'll talk about it after the podcast but I think after the first game uh, we'll, we'll do our, our weekly uh, edition and, and kind of touch in tap in after that but uh, thank you guys for listening uh, I know this podcast has been sporadic uh, but we will go back to our, our regularly scheduled once a week and I'll be doing some post game pods uh, so be on the lookout for that uh, thank you for your patience and for Bill and Anthony I'm Yovan signing off we
2: back baby